Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thanks for joining us today and letting us be part of your day. We hope it'll be a good one for you. Here's what we'll be talking about. The president and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation, Dan Hallstrom, will join us. We'll take a look at beef export numbers. Ken Erickson, senior vice president for IHS Market, joins us. Take a look at the markets, reaction to recent crop reports, and a look at the early planting conditions, all that coming up on our program. And we'll talk with Robert White with the Renewable Fuels Association as the renewable fuels industry continues to defend year-round E15 sales in court. We'll find out how things are going out in the countryside as far as retailers offering more E15 to motorists. We'll get an update all coming up on today's program. But let's start it off with Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. Still in California, Jerry. Too good of weather to leave, I guess, huh? Well, that's right. Although it's supposed to be beautiful in Washington, but I've just heard that uh, in my native North Dakota, it's 26 mm-hmm. degrees and uh, snowing. Uh, glad for the snow, but I have to admit, I'm glad I'm not there in 26 degrees. Yep, understand. Um, the administration is uh, out selling its infrastructure plan. What are you hearing as far as reaction to it? Well, the, uh, I keep hearing the same thing, that people are very interested in the, the roads, the bridges, the port uh, portions of it, and, uh, of course, the, the uh, broadband, uh, but uh, less interested in other programs and concerned about how uh, the administration is going to pay for it. Uh, they're concerned about tax increases. Would the, uh, if you put, pass a, tax, a corporate tax increase, will, how much would it, it would affect farming? Uh, would would uh, other ideas such as the elimination of the stepped-up basis come into play? Uh, the administration is not proposing that uh, elimination of, of stepped-up basis, but it has been proposed in the in the Senate. Um, so a mixed reaction, but rural America does want improvements in infrastructure. There's no question about that. And of course, for the you know for really big agriculture, the important thing is being able to get those products to the ports, particularly that you know down the Mississippi to the port of New Orleans, out the West Coast ports. Uh, those things are are vital, and there are worries we're not as competitive as some other pl- places or not so much that we're not competitive today, but other places are becoming more competitive uh, in transportation. Yeah, we'll see if they can get a more targeted bill on infrastructure and how we'll look and see how they propose to pay for it. Meanwhile, the administration has also released its uh, budget proposals, including increases for both USDA and EPA. What do you make of that? Uh, yes, it's about a, uh, I think a, about a 16 percent uh, uh, increase. Uh, of course, the thing about the budget proposals is that they're always, in a way, dead on arrival on Capitol Hill. It is a budget request. It is not law. The the Congress is actually Congress determines the budget if they can get their act together to do that. 
and in any case, they 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 do the uh, appropriations bills. Uh, I do note that they are proposing more money for broadband, uh, which at this point may be the most uh, uh, the most important uh, most important thing. Uh, and they also want more money for the the WIC program for for pregnant women, uh, mothers, and small children. Uh, that's because they believe that too few low-income women and their children are participating in that program, and they're going to make a big push to get them uh, onto it. That would mean uh, the purchase of more uh, so of certain types of agricultural products, uh, milk and fruits and vegetables. Yeah, so as you said, the administration makes those requests. Very seldom they get everything they ask for. We'll see what they do get in the long when it's all determined, but it does give you an idea what their priorities are and the areas that they are seeking to uh, uh, push for. So we'll watch that. Meanwhile, you're asking a, an interesting question and, and trying to get to some uh, information on this. Um, you're asking and wanting to know how many farmers are getting their COVID vaccinations. Uh, what are you finding out? Well, so far, I don't, uh, I don't find out anything. Uh, I don't think anybody has the records on this. The, the reason I got interested in this is that, you know, there's such a push for people to get vaccinated. Uh, there are uh, also stories out there that uh, Republicans and evangelicals, particularly men, are um, hesitant to take the virus or resistant to take, they're not hesitant to take the vaccine or resistant to take the vaccine. Uh, we've had lots of stories about farm workers slaughterhouse workers, workers in, in meat, pro, or meat and other food processing plants, uh, but nothing about the farmers and the ranchers. And uh, I'd like to know this, and I am particularly interested in knowing this uh, before we start going to the, to the big farm meetings next winter, uh, because uh, you wonder what, the, what will the safety situation be when you bring together farmers and ranchers from all over the country. Uh, I couldn't find the information out there. All I could find was statistics and studies of rural residents. And those studies show that on some level, the rural residents are a bit better, better than the uh, urban and suburban people in taking the vaccine. But among those who haven't taken it yet, there is more resistance among the, among the ones that are left. And so I just want people to start thinking about this and, and talking about it. Uh, and I hope, you know, people will, people will start and maybe one of these firms that does the studies uh, will start asking farmers and ranchers uh, uh, before we get too far into the product, uh, agricultural productivity season and also next year's uh, farm meetings. Yeah, I, I know as I've talked to people, some have them, some have received them, some have not, and for various reasons. Uh, uh, some still don't feel that they're safe or have some questions about that. And, and today's news of Johnson & Johnson, uh, their one-shot vaccine, that being paused because of, uh, I think, six cases that have been reported of a clotting issue. So that may cause those uh, concerns or questions to uh, amp up a bit. Others, I, I think in some cases, it comes down to an age uh, difference. Uh, some of the younger ones are not feeling, uh, you know, uh, quite as uh, 
They're not the ones that are most wanting it, yeah. And so they feel they don't need them in some cases. Uh, Older people maybe feel they do. So I think there's a lot of different uh, factors out there on people's decisions on whether or not to get them. Well, I I agree. Uh, But I think we need to talk about it. Uh, At the moment, it it just hasn't been brought up, and that's why Mm -hmm. I did a story in my Hagstrom report about this. Now, the American Farm Bureau uh, state chapters in quite a few places uh, have their own campaigns going to in, to acquaint the yep. farmers with the uh, with the vaccine. Interesting point, and uh, we'll we'll see what kind of answers we get, and see if we can get some more information on it. Jerry, good to talk with you. Thanks a lot. All right, good to talk to you. Uh, we'll t- hope Safe. hopefully talk again soon. Safe travels, Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report here on AOA. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, where we take a close look at the benefits of cooperative ownership. Every week, we'll host a new guest and discuss how you can get the most from working with your local cooperative. And we'll learn why farmers and ranchers just like you Choose cooperatives to help them persevere and prosper. So be sure to tune in each Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. When it comes to the crops you plant, we know that you want to maximize the yield of each seed. In order to do that, you need every plant to emerge on the same day. The problem is you don't know if this is actually happening. We understand what it's like to be in the cab at harvest, wondering why a field is yielding lower than expected, which is why we're offering you our free emergence flagging kit. Here's how it works. Go to precisionplanting.com forward slash free and request your free emergence flagging kit. We'll send you a kit that includes multiple colored flags, a seed digger, and instructions. The first day your plants start coming up, follow the kit instructions to flag the new emergers each day. You'll gain a much clearer picture of how consistently your plants are emerging. Get your free emergence flagging kit today at precisionplanning.com forward slash free. Don't wait. Kits are limited. That's precisionplanning.com forward slash free for your free emergence flagging kit. A cold front can slow the world to a crawl, but with Cenex Premium Diesel, your fleet can power through. Cenex Roadmaster XL Seasonally Enhanced comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn, optimizing cold weather performance over typical number two diesel. So rather than complaining about the cold, own it with Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel diesel that doesn't mess around. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. And in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. 
They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, each month we like to check in with Dan Hallstrom, President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation, to get the latest uh, meat export sales numbers. Dan joins us now. And Dan, um, probably not where you'd like to be, but uh, all in all, I guess still pretty good numbers? Yeah, good morning, Mike. Yes, uh, I think the February stats came in at or close to where we thought they would be. Um, still pretty solid numbers. Uh, on both beef and pork, although both are down uh, year on year. But I think we, we still continue to be a little bit challenged with the logistical side of things, the pork congestion on the West Coast, uh, while showing signs of improvement, I think is still uh, still an issue that's going to take some time to, to work out. So we've had some good news here recently with the Philippines, going to open up to even more pork, so that should help, right? Yeah, on the pork side, uh, the Philippines uh, had a big month, up about 60% year-on-year. And more importantly, as you just mentioned, uh, the government has announced a a lowering of the duties. Um, There there are very much a short supply situation due to African swine fever. And uh, and we're also hopeful that uh, the government has not passed this yet, but we're hoping they will, an increased uh, a quota for the lower duty. So, uh, yeah, things are definitely looking up with the Philippines, and uh, and there's some other areas of Southeast Asia as well, like like Vietnam, that are starting to look a little better as well. But that Vietnam market is still a challenge to get into because of tariffs. Well, it is, but uh, they've also been impacted by African swine fever, and uh, um, it's a bit volatile, but. Uh, you know, I think the trend lines are such that they're going to be more reliant on imports as well. So uh, I think overall that's that's probably good news for uh, for us, especially on the pork side. We're talking with Dan Hallstrom, president and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. So, Dan, the February numbers are down a bit, but you're still optimistic for 2021 overall. We are, yes. On the beef side, we were down about 8% in February. Last year's number was relatively large. Uh, we have some really good news, though. We've, we've got China is up big again for beef in the month of February, 8,600 tons. And that that's going to continue. Uh, we're going to continue to see uh, growth there. Korea uh, was about steady with a year ago, but had a record year a year ago. And, and Central America is starting to heat up in a good way, not only on beef, but beef and pork. So, yeah, we're we're excited about the prospects of uh, probably some significant growth on the beef side uh, uh, throughout the year of 2021. What about lamb? How are lamb exports? Yeah, lamb is actually uh, uh, rebounding quite well. Uh, we had a very big month in, in uh, month of February. We're up about 50% from a year ago. Uh, Mexico was one of the leaders. Mexico is the largest destination for U.S. lamb, but we saw Canada and Hong Kong as well have uh, 
significant growth. So it's nice to see uh, Lam complementing the product mix in some of these countries. You mentioned the how African swine fever is impacting meat exports. How much is the COVID pandemic still impacting sales? Yes, this this is an ongoing issue. Um, we we are unfortunately seeing a uh, another wave of positive cases in two of our biggest markets, uh, Japan and Korea. I do think that the trend lines in general, especially in Japan, are improving, but uh, but they're being very cautious over there, especially with uh, the upcoming Olympics this summer. So uh, I think we'll continue to see some food service lockdowns in both of those countries. But, but as we've seen all along, uh, the retail side and the online side is booming. Um, so, so it's not all bad news, but yeah, we're going to continue to see some of these spikes. The other thing that, that, um, a lot of people don't realize is that while we're making significant progress on vaccines here in the U S not necessarily the case in some of these, uh, key countries that we export to and Japan and Korea are two of them where their vaccination rate is, is only a couple of percent so far. So, they're, they're definitely behind where the U.S. is, which is unfortunate. But the good news is that they are implementing a supply chain of vaccinations, uh, availability and, and distribution. So that, that situation will improve as well as we get later into the year. Are you able, uh, at the Meat Export Federation, able to do in-store promotions and, and face-to-face uh, uh, efforts and projects again? Or are you still mostly virtual? No, I think uh, it depends on where you are. Um, in Asia, Southeast Asia, I'd say for the most part, we're back doing everything in person. Places like uh, Vietnam, Taiwan, China, uh, you know, not maybe not everything, but almost everything is back to an in-person setting. Um, we are starting to see, uh, in, even with the lockdowns in, in Japan and Korea, we are starting to see uh, more in-person events there as well. Um, so that's the good news. Uh, the bad news is Latin America, uh, especially Mexico and South America is still locked down pretty hard. We're doing promotions, but maybe not, uh, uh, in-store tastings, for example, tasting demonstrations, uh, in places like Mexico and South America, that's still not, not allowed, but, um, it's a it's a progress of time. Um, we're slowly seeing things start to come back to normal. We we anticipate that's going to accelerate as we get later in 2021. And getting back to African swine fever, which continues to be an issue, and you mentioned in markets like the Philippines as as well as Vietnam, um, no one wants to see something like that, obviously. But it has created demand for our meat products, hasn't it? Well, it has, yes, it has created demand for more imported products, uh, not only from the U.S., but from Europe and other major pork-producing supply sources. Uh, But it it has also created a lot of disruption, as you can imagine. So uh, the volatility is is increased dynamically uh, because of it. But, but yes, to answer your question, there is more opportunity, but... uh, you know, there's an argument to be made that the volatility uh, is not helping things. So, um, you know, I think this will settle down over time. There, there is a concerted effort in these countries to rebuild uh, China, um, Philippines, um, and they are doing that. But it's going to take some time for it to uh, 
get back to the way it was pre-ASF. Is there a market, Dan, that you think uh, will really make a big jump this year as far as uh, importing our meat products? Well, I think there's several that potentially are in that category, but uh, you know, one that's already happening uh, is Colombia. Uh, you know, that's the one area in Central America as well, the whole region. Central America is starting to open back up. The economies are starting to see inter-regional uh, uh, tourism open back up. And Colombia uh, is the one exception in South, South America that seems to be just booming and getting back to normal. So, uh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm particularly optimistic about those areas. And, of course, we have, I think Mexico is well positioned for a rebound. Uh, it's just a matter of time when things start getting, when the vaccinations uh, there start to increase to a higher level and we see tourism reopen in, in Mexico, I think they're well positioned for a significant rebound, and, and U.S. beef and pork, and lamb for that matter, uh, should be in the forefront of their of their demand. I find it interesting about Colombia. I traveled there several years ago before the free trade agreement and talking with people there and looking at the, the needs that were there, and, and there, many of them wanting that free trade agreement to get more product in there. That agreement, is that making a big difference as far as our, our sales there? Oh, without a doubt, yeah. Uh, anytime we get a free trade agreement that gets, on, gets us on a level playing field or, or in the case of Colombia, even an advantageous agreement vis-a-vis -vis some of our competition, uh, that combined with the marketing efforts uh, uh, is invaluable. And, uh, you know, I think it just helps these countries realize the value of our quality and what we have to offer quicker. And uh, it is definitely playing out in the case of uh, Colombia. I saw such tremendous uh, improvements and recovery there in their economy and, and just their way of life there. Uh, has that continued or is that continuing to grow and uh, make them uh, put thing, them in a position to be able to purchase more? I think without a doubt. I think what happens is you see these economies develop quicker with free trade agreements. And what happens when they develop quicker economically is that there's a demand for a higher quality of uh, food. And uh, I think that's definitely what we're seeing here. We're seeing, we're seeing consumption increase and consequently the demand for imported products increase. All right, Dan Hallstrom, President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Always good to talk with you, Dan. We'll check in again next month. Thank you so much, Mike. Appreciate it. All right, thank you. Ken Erickson is up next. He's Senior Vice President for IHS Market. We'll talk markets next. Stay with us on AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. When it comes to the crops you plant, we know that you want to maximize the yield of each seed. In order to do that, you need every plant to emerge on the same day. The problem is, you don't know if this is actually happening. We understand what it's like to be in the cab at harvest, wondering why a field is yielding lower than expected, which is why we're offering you our free emergence flagging kit. Here's how it works. 
Go to precisionplanting.com forward slash free and request your free emergence flagging kit. We'll send you a kit that includes multiple colored flags, a seed digger, and instructions. The first day your plants start coming up, follow the kit instructions to flag the new emergers each day. You'll gain a much clearer picture of how consistently your plants are emerging. Get your free emergence flagging kit today at precisionplanning.com forward slash free. Don't wait. Kits are limited. That's precisionplanning.com forward slash free for your free emergence flagging kit. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rall. Beans have struggled since Friday's USDA reports. Beans, meal, and soybean oil all fell further below the green line 20-day moving average yesterday. Soybean oil is leading the bounce today. Although beans couldn't rally from the USDA report, bean prices are well within the trading range they have been since the first of the year. Unfortunately, old crop beans are closer to a buy signal than a sell signal. Wheat crop ratings were 53% good to excellent, unchanged this week and in line with trade expectations. Ratings, however, were well below last year's 62 percent good to excellent rating. On the Board of Trade, May soybeans trading 14 cents higher at 13.96. The July contract up 12 and three quarters at 13.91 and three quarters. For corn, the May contract up 13 and a half cent at 5.82 and a fraction. The July contract up 12 cents at 5.68. For wheat, Chicago wheat May up seven and a half cent at 6.35 and three quarters. Kansas City wheat may up a nickel at 5.84. Minneapolis spring wheat may up six cents at 6.48 and three quarters. The July contract up six and a quarter at 6.56 and a half cent. Lower cattle futures were not a surprise on Monday, but the decline of hog futures was. Overall fundamentals in both markets remain bullish, but prices cannot go up forever without a correction. As long as support holds, the trend remains up. On the Board of Trade, April live cattle trading 20 cents higher at 122.92. The June contract down 52 at 121.55. For feeder cattle, the April contract down 92 at 143.57. The May contract $1.17 lower at 148.52. For lean hogs, the May contract down 72 cents at 103.67. The June contract down 65 at 105.50. In the outside markets, the Dow is down 126 points, the NASDAQ composite up 93, the S&P 500 up 4. I'm Kirsten Rall. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility. Independence changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. 
Well, let's talk markets with Ken Erickson, Senior Vice President for IHS Market. Ken, good to talk with you again. We have, we have a lot of information for the markets to look at. We've had a planning intentions report, a stocks report, WASDE report. Now we're getting uh, our weekly crop planting progress numbers. And, and so there's just lots for the markets to look at. What are they most focused on right now, you think? Yeah, well, hey, it's good to be with you. And certainly just looking uh, at the weather and what that means to get into the fields and start planting. Uh, We're also watching what's taking place in South America on their corn crop and and the progress on on how well it's being treated and also watching the whole veg oil complex and what it's doing on renewable diesel. There's a lot that someone's got to absorb here. But right now, it's how fast we're planting and when do we get the the seed in the field, in in the ground and start getting a rain that comes and treats it really well to get it out of that ground. I was thinking yeah, the other day about from- Yeah, I was thinking the other day about how our mindset has changed, Ken. Uh, now if we get a down day, especially if we if we get a couple of down days, people say, "What's going on? How can this be?" I mean, we're we're accustomed now to this rally. Uh, so what's the psychology here as the markets, uh, you know, People think, why would they ever pull back? We have these tight stocks. We we don't know what this year's crop's going to be yet. They're they're behind with the Safrina crop in in South America. How could they ever go down? Yeah, and that's going to be a continual process here. And look, globally, we're we're seeing volatility across a lot of areas. If you just look at the general indices, you're seeing that they're growing at a much higher pace from say the lows that we saw last uh, uh, last year. And uh, there may be up uh, 60-some percent, where ag's up 50 uh, percent, if you just look at a general indices. But overall, we're continuing to see what is transpiring for demand. But at the same time, is there uh, the reports that we got from USDA, especially on corn, we really struggle with uh, what they did not do with exports, uh, how they came to close to their end of their balance table. Uh, we have uh, a much higher uh, corn exports, and we just believe they got a lot more work. And they did something big back in November with their exports, and then they're just sort of uh, leading us on here with dribs and drabs. And there's still a lot of you know uh, great sales out there for corn, and we think that there's some more work to be done. And there's just some unnervous, there's some nervousness around this out there. They moved the right way, but it's not where we believe it's going to be by the time we get to the end of August. And and really, we think about ethanol uh, as uh, economies are opening up, people are driving. There's still this uh, sort of tension that we have out there, Mike. And I think, uh, you know, the concern, maybe we've got open weather, things are being planted. So, you know, we've got to have open weather to plant, and that's a good thing. But then now the next shoe will come. And to your point, uh, wait a day because it might change tomorrow, as uh, mm-hmm. the expression goes. We're talking with Ken Erickson, Senior Vice President for IHS Market. You talked about nervousness when it comes to uh, to sales, to demand. Uh, China's made some more purchases, and it, now it's almost, well, certainly there's always a, a happiness, a good feeling that they're buying. It's almost a sigh of relief because we keep wondering if they're going to stop buying or, or really <laughs> cut back dramatically. Yeah, there's certainly a lot of memory uh, for things like that, and uh, people who may have long memory back into the early 2000s with cancellations and such. But what a very different inflection point, and certainly China has itself in, increased its import number uh, to 24 or 22 million tons, and that's a big move for them. 
Uh, now, USDA is at 24. We're at 30 million tons of corn imports for China this year, 30 million ton next year. And soybeans are right there at close to 100 million tons for the next couple years here. So you're seeing uh, very large uh, purchases there and opportunities, as well as other commodities, whether it's sorghum, ingredients. Uh, you're just seeing continual uh, need to feed uh, hogs and broilers and also the aquaculture that you've seen a lot of changes in that economy. But it's not just China either. It's other countries that have done a lot of expansion when China was out of the market for other alternative uh, protein sources that were out there. So you're, you're seeing, uh, you know, that old saying, uh, a rising tide lifts all boats unless you're ever given stuck in the Suez Canal. Ah, you're right. Uh, some have uh, expressed concerns that we'll run out of soybeans this year. Now, I mean, historically, we've we buy we've imported soybeans in the past, certainly. But do you think that's a major concern or not? Right now, we think we're in a, a good position. Uh, on uh, USDA, unlike their unlike their corn balance table, they increase their soybeans relatively higher than expected uh, for oat crop here, and we think that. Uh, they got way too high on that, and they're going to probably have to come back 30 million bushels uh, from where they are, and, and that's going to give a little bit more breathing room. But end of the day, uh, if you continue to have some good demand or you get some interruptions for flows out of uh, South America, uh, certainly uh, Argentina has got a currency issue, so having soybeans in a bin is a safe uh, uh, you know, a savings bank for them, really a big old piggy bank. And But you got uh, Argent, uh, Brazil sending quite a bit of beans every day and probably a record month here. We'll wrap up uh, as we go into April here. But meanwhile, we see the U.S. that as the crushers are still seeing some pretty good uh, margins here, they'll keep going at it. And, you know, we've got for next year, the old new crop neck cr- uh, beans, a very slim carryout next year. So we're, we've got uh, very narrow margins for um, uh, challenges to come in here, and uh, we could be finding ourselves on that flip side. And there's already a couple cargoes that could be heading this way. Uh, we could probably take more, but we're at a very comfortable spot without having to really increase uh, imports dramatically like we had in uh, uh, previous years. Let's look a little farther out. What are your thoughts on the markets for 2022 and even beyond that? I mean, are do you see this as a long running rally or should producers be thinking about locking in some prices now uh what what are your thoughts on that yeah and certainly for producers when they look at their cost of production and they look at uh, what goes into there and certainly the revenues that they can attain and look at the net opportunities if it's profitable it's always good to be able to find a spot to lock in but it's also looking at those markets that we see coming forward here. But the big story that we're going to be watching very closely is what's going to be happening to this renewable diesel. And as we've added to our balance table a line that just specifically gives to the soybean oil uh, balance table, so we, uh, a renewable diesel, you're going to go up dramatically in the next two years here. And what that means is we're going to cut soybean oil exports, we're going to increase imports of other uh, uh, products, and that's going to mean more need for soybeans, and you're going to start looking at this competition with corn and soybeans as we go forward here. Obviously, yield is important, but usage is there. And as again, as we get these economies uh, opening up and you get a higher blend rates to this renewable diesel and meet these mandates, 2022 
we see some uh, concerns with shortages of supply for renewable diesel that will really start to uh, uh, get attention here. If, it, if you haven't paid attention yet, you're going to start to see attention to it because just watch some of the palm, soybean oil, and some of those prices. They've been moving around a lot, but uh, they tend to go higher, and uh, that's where we're going to be watching very closely, Mike, and, and what that's going to do for the balance of acres in the next couple years here. Ken, that's a very interesting point because we're still waiting to see with the push towards electric vehicles, we're waiting to see where ethanol may fit into these new climate policies and, and uh, you know, in carbon reduction plans. And I think ethanol has a good case to make, but we're waiting to see uh, how the administration, you know, accepts that case or not and whether it makes a push for more ethanol uh, in their policies. But we do seem to see a real opportunity, a real door opening wide open, perhaps, for biodiesel. We do. And, and that's going to be the one that uh, we're going to be watching very closely. Uh, here at IHS Market, we've increased our penetration rate of electrical vehicle from about 1.8% to over 2%. Uh, in, the, in the very near term here, and that's going to continue to increase. So that's something we've got to watch. But at the same time, uh, diesel is very, very important to our economy, and especially in moving our economy. And that renewable diesel is going to be very critical as we go forward. And the available supplies of that feedstock in the 2020, late 2022 into 2024, I mean 2023, and we're going to see some a very large. Uh, uh, biodiesel, uh, renewable diesel plants come online uh, late 2022 that is going to just absorb as much as we can throw at them as, as we look at the program. So those, we're going to be cutting our soybean oil exports just to accommodate that. The flip side of that is, if necessary, it could work out that we'd see importing soybean oil from Argentina to make up some of those gaps. So something to be watching as we go forward here. That's very interesting. And real quick, we'll wrap it up with this. Uh, how concerned are you about that drought monitor map showing still a lot of dry areas in the country? Yeah, it, you know, drought is never any fun, and there's always a drought someplace in the country. But where we are at this time of year, um, it, it's a concern. However, you need to be able to be open to plant. The flip side of this, you know, you can get a couple good rains right now that could start to show up here and really take good advantage of that. But the problem is out west, and we're in the northern plains, that we've got more of that dryness. And that's the area we're going to be watching as we think about, uh, again, in the Dakotas and to Montana, uh, even a bit further south of there. That's the one we're going to keep watching very closely. But for right now, we think we've got some uh, good opportunities to see this planting go in. It'll be moving real fast with corn right above average. Uh, wheat has been above average, and uh, spring wheat plantings, that is. And we'll start getting some readings on soybeans here in the next couple of weeks uh, with the weekly progress. But um, if we don't start to see some rains emerge in the second uh, half here in April, then we're going to start really uh, having some concern around that. All right, Ken. Good to talk with you. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Mike. Have a good day now. Take care. Ken Erickson, Senior Vice President for IHS Market. Well, the ethanol industry is defending year-round E15 sales in court. Meanwhile, what's happening out in the marketplace? We'll get an update from Robert White with the Renewable Fuels Association next on AOA. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Do you know how to keep food safe at home? Clean, separate, cook, and chill. 
The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook, and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Clean. Wash hands and utensils to avoid spreading bacteria when preparing food. Separate. Use different cutting boards for meat, poultry, seafood, and veggies. Cook. You can't tell it's done by how it looks. Always use a food thermometer. Chill. Keep the fridge at 40 degrees or below to keep bacteria from growing. Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. The USDA is your partner in being food safe. Clean, separate, cook, and chill. For more information, visit BeFoodSafe.gov or call 1-888-MP-HOTLINE. Do you know how to keep food safe at home? Clean, separate, cook, and chill. The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook, and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Let's talk about how to chill. First, keep the fridge at 40 degrees or below to keep bacteria from growing. Use an appliance thermometer to be sure things are cool. Then, chill leftovers and takeout foods within two hours and divide food into shallow containers for fast cooling. And always thaw meat, poultry, and seafood in the fridge, not on the counter, and never overstuff the fridge. Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. The USDA is your partner in being food safe. Clean, separate, cook, and chill. For more information, visit BeFoodSafe.gov or call 1-888-MP-HOTLINE. This is Around the Table where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Our guest today is Riley Buss, a data engineer at CHS discussing how the global digital supply chain is changing everything from fertilizer availability to grain drop-off. What differences would a farmer experience when connected to the digital supply chain? We're going to be coming with them with the, the best price, getting them their grain out into the, the global market uh, as quickly and as efficiently as possible. And that's really the, the huge benefit there. When you look at us being able to be on the tip of the spear and be able to see uh, different demand changes in, in the world when it comes to uh, all these various commodities and being able to um, kind of predict what the supply shocks are going to be. So that way we can be flexible and have an agile approach to how we fulfill um, getting this uh, farmer's grains into the global market. Uh, this also, there's a byproduct to a digital supply chain too. And because of the, the level of transparency that we can get in this data that's owned by our farmers, it's, we can provide them you know, real-time visibility into where is my grain going to be going. What might be future possibilities for farmers through this digital supply chain? Yeah, I kind of mentioned one a little bit earlier on just uh, if farmers want that transparency to see where their grain is going, that's going to be definitely a nice byproduct of the supply chain. But uh, at CHS, we are really at the tip of the sphere of this digital supply chain. And um, I, I think the key thing to know is that uh, you know we're going to have the, the biggest flexibility to meet the different demand and supply shock. That it's really going to enable us to uh, give the farmers the, the best price possible and get their grain as soon as efficiently uh, out into that global market or even if the, the best choice for that grain for the getting them the best price is just going to be in the, in the local area at a soybean crushing facility or at a renewable fuel farm. That's Riley Buss, a data engineer at CHS. Thanks for joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of co-op ownership from CHS at cooperativeownership.com. When it comes to the crops you plant, 
We know that you want to maximize the yield of each seed. In order to do that, you need every plant to emerge on the same day. The problem is, you don't know if this is actually happening. We understand what it's like to be in the cab at harvest, wondering why a field is yielding lower than expected, which is why we're offering you our free emergence flagging kit. Here's how it works. Go to precisionplanting.com forward slash free and request your free emergence flagging kit. We'll send you a kit that includes multiple colored flags, a seed digger, and instructions. The first day your plants start coming up, follow the kit instructions to flag the new emergers each day. You'll gain a much clearer picture of how consistently your plants are emerging. Get your free emergence flagging kit today at precisionplanning.com forward slash free. Don't wait. Kits are limited. That's precisionplanning.com forward slash free for your free emergence flagging kit. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. I want to talk about E15 with Robert White, Vice President, Industry Relations for the Renewable Fuels Association. Robert, thanks for joining us. And we should note that uh, even as we speak, um, the legal battle continues as uh, the renewable fuels industry, the ethanol industry, is um, arguing in court, uh, in this case, defending the decision to allow E15 sales year-round. So the the court battle continues. Uh what about what's going on out in the countryside at the retail level? Well, good morning, Mike. Thanks for having me as always. And uh, good news is that we just saw some volume records from last year. Uh, Iowa and Minnesota are two states that openly report their E15 sales. And E15 sales in the state of Iowa grew 14, uh, 14.3%. And when you saw uh, gasoline sales go the opposite direction at roughly 13.5. And then in Minnesota, you know, they really held strong, about even numbers from 2019. But the same thing, you had drastic reduction in overall gasoline sales in Minnesota. So I think it's it's important that even as uh, COVID-19 really restricted overall gasoline sales, you saw the value proposition at the pump with E15 lure in more customers. You got some things going on here at the retail level. They're looking at uh, what equipment uh, can use E15. Do they have to put in new equipment? And then you've got the labeling issue. How are those factors impacting retailers' decisions? Well, they they are a big impact because, you know, really the the normal retailers trying to make sure there's fuel on the ground, the power's on, and someone showed up for work to sell the fuel. And we were adding multiple layers of complexity, as always thanks in, in most part to our, our government. But what we've been able to do is dumb that down and really explain at a very uh, easy level. And we, we're here to help. We're here to walk them through that process. But we have to make sure that the equipment's compatible. And in some cases, uh, stations are just a bad candidate until they do some, some renovation or some overall uh, changes to their fuel supply system. But there's a lot of stations that are ready to go for E15, and we help them determine what needs changed, if anything, and we point them towards any grant programs at the state or federal level. USDA's 
HBIT program is just wrapping up and offered billions of dollars to hundreds of different stations. And then as far as the labeling goes, that's going to be a fight for forever, Mike. It's one of those things we're still doing it with E85 after, you know, almost 30 years. And I, I'm guessing E15 will be no different. Is it safe to say, is it accurate to say the oil industry fears that E15 will become E10, will become as commonplace and just an accepted part of our fuel supply, a major part of our fuel supply, as E10 has become? There's no doubt. I, I firmly believe that. And now, of course, almost all of the conversation coming out of Washington, at least within the administration uh, and several of the agencies, is electric vehicles. Well, we don't put, at this point, we don't put much liquid fuel in an electric vehicle. And now I, I'm one of those that thinks this is going to be a long time coming. But at the same time, every drop of liquid fuel that's removed from the equation, you know, we're fighting for that part of that gallon. I I watch anxiously, and oftentimes I see it from you uh, on your uh, social media feeds, uh, when new companies, new retailers are offering E15, and there have been some uh, pretty big ones lately. That's right, and, and the big ones so far this year, I, I would give credit to the terminal side of things, where all of the fuel retailers go to pull their fuel. If E15 is not one of those options, you usually have to get very creative and, and go with blender pump technology to dilute E85 with E10 to make your E15. But if E15 is pre-blended and ready at their normal supply uh, house, then that gives them another easy access to it and, and removes a lot of the complications from that process and in many cases reduces the cost of entry. And so that's important too. And we've seen several terminal announcements, uh, several in the Midwest, uh, I was just on the phone last week with some that are not in the Midwest. So that, that continues to grow. And I really think it goes back to that value proposition. We have high RINs. We have decent ethanol and gasoline markets that provide that value proposition for E15. And it really doesn't matter if you're in Kansas, New York, uh, or Texas. It, it's there. Do you see an increase in E15 sales or E85 sales even? As gas prices go up and you see that, that uh, discount at the pump uh, for the ethanol blends? E15 actually has been uh, you know, steadily increasing. As I mentioned when we first started, that we've seen those sales uh, maintain or grow even during COVID. Uh, so I, I think E15, as long as it maintains that, that small discount, in some cases it's a pretty big discount, but if, even if it maintains a small discount, it will continue to grow. But as we've seen over the last three decades that E85 truly does need a discount. And what you're seeing in California, as an example, is, is uh, mind-boggling for many of us. I mean, they're, thanks to their low-carbon fuel standards and, and the value of those carbon credits and the low-carbon nature of E85, you know, E85 is sort of retailing for about half the price of regular unleaded. You get people's attention when you have a sellable motor fuel at half the price of what you're used to, and a lot of people are looking for flex fuel vehicles because of it. I mean, that's a dollar fifty, dollar sixty a gallon uh, savings using E85 out there. And as more states, we just heard from Washington last week, and obviously in our nation's capital, consider clean fuel, low carbon type standards. It will maybe find its way across the country. Yep, we hope so. And you're always uh, out on the road and always uh, interested to see where you're finding E15 and E85 and for what price. Uh, appreciate the updates. Good to talk with you again, Robert. Safe travels to you. 
Thanks, Mike. Take care. Robert White, Vice President, Industry Relations for the Renewable Fuels Association. All right, we'll wrap it up for today. Coming up tomorrow, um, we'll take a closer look at reaction to the infrastructure plan. The administration's out trying to sell it. Uh, There are a lot of things in there that agriculture likes, but there are concerns. We'll talk about that and, of course, the price tag on it. And we'll get the latest ag equipment sales numbers as well. Hope you'll join us tomorrow right here on AOA. Stay safe, everyone. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around.